Welcome to Revenge of the Drive-In, the podcast where we watch, explore, and review two movies randomly selected from a list of over 2,000. This week we have Conan the Barbarian, our first Arnold Schwarzenegger film to be featured here, as well as Valley of the Dolls from 1967. I am your co-host Patrick, and I'm joined as usual by... Jim, hello everybody, hello Patrick, how are you buddy? I'm doing great, we watched... Conan the Barbarian. It's the first time I had seen it in a long time. I had seen it once before. Didn't remember a whole lot about it. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Valley of the Dolls I saw a long time ago as well. And believe it or not, I remembered more about that than I did about Conan, and I'm not 100% sure why. (laughs) Actually, I have a a good idea. So, when I got my wisdom teeth removed, (laughs) I I remember I, I had a plan to watch a bunch of like 80s action movies just because i knew i would just be lying in bed not doing much pretty sure that's the first time i saw conan okay yeah (laughs) so that might explain it a bit anyways conan slave barbarian warrior This is a movie that I have also seen before, years and years and years ago. I think every boy, every guy, probably sees this movie once when they're a kid and it's on television. Well, not me. I wasn't a child when I got my wisdom teeth removed. I was like 18, 17, 20. I saw this when I was about 13, and I remember loving it, and this time around, not so much. Conan the Barbarian, uh, not Conan the Late Night Show host, came out in 1982, directed by, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, John Milius? I assume so. The screenwriter or maybe co-screenwriter of Apocalypse Now. Yeah, he also worked uh, on Dirty Harry and Jaws, apparently. Yes, uncredited on Dirty Harry, I believe. Yeah. And probably uncredited on Jaws, because I don't think he's in the credits on that. And Dirty Harry coming up later this season, Jaws, of course, we have a commentary track on our patreon yeah he also wrote and directed red dawn yeah is that the movie about the russians invading it like is, small yeah. town yeah. patrick swayzeville or whatever yeah. <laughs> yes yes i believe so i've only seen red dawn once and that was years ago in high school this movie um conan the barbarian was written by milius and oliver stone who i looked oliver stone up fair amount of credits but nothing super noteworthy i guess what are you kidding and the Oscar goes to... Oliver Stone, born on the 4th of July. I don't know. Platoon? Oh, yeah, Platoon, that's right. Platoon. JFK? Yeah, I don't, I've don't. i never seen JFK. Uh, the, he wrote Scarface, which sucks, but... Platoon yeah, and Scarface no, were the only... Oliver, which... Oliver Stone had a huge career. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this movie, though, is starring a fair amount of people, but only really a couple big names... The biggest name probably is Arnie, uh, which is, I think this is his, like, breakout role. He was in a few other things before this, but he, he wasn't really in the forefront of, uh... Of... Yeah, this is his first real, like, star in, like, a major motion picture. Yeah. Because he has Hercules in New York, which is, like, a some kind of famous 70s, you know, schlock movie that mm-hmm. is really only famous because he's in it. He's a, um, I think, uncredited, like, goon. In The Long Goodbye from, like, the early 70s, it's, like, a mystery movie with Elliot Gould based on a okay, Raymond yeah. Chandler novel that's really good. And then, obviously, Pumping Iron was the documentary that came out, I think, in 79, and that's... <laughs> Pumping Iron. I, 
I don't know documentary if that... or gay porno. Which one? It's a classic documentary. It's one of the greatest documentaries ever. It's about his weightlifting career, bodybuilding career, and it was, I think, a fairly popular film at the time. I don't know if it really made Arnold a household name, but it I, I, it was his name was out there. He was like Mr. Universe, right, mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. He was he was bound to break out at some point in sort of the mainstream, but this is probably the film that did it. We also have James Earl Jones in here playing the main villain. Thulsa Doom. Thulsa Doom. Thulsa Doom. Although I, I read, so um, Conan is a comic book series, right? I don't, I mean, so I, 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 I assume it is now. I think it was like... Um... No, it, it was it was then because I, I was reading up a little bit about Thulsa Doom. Mm-hmm. And apparently his character differs greatly in the comics. So, you know, this was the Mandarin of its day. You know, there was probably some <laughs> Conan fans really upset about how they portrayed this character. Or maybe they weren't because people treated comic books like comic books back then and not like higher literature and stuff. But the thing is, because there's a lot of stuff about snakes and everything, and he turns into a snake, which is awesome. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I I think in the comics, like his face was a snake. He had like a snake face or something, maybe a skeleton face. So they took the name of Thulsa Doom, but apparently the character more closely resembles some other Conan villain. And I couldn't tell you anything about this because it's just a a wikipedia dive uh last night so yeah two nights ago, so <laughs> i mean I, I don't know much about it i think he's he's a good villain in this movie i think so i think james earl jones fantastic actor this is our first movie with him not our first movie with a member of the earl jones family though if you remember the father of james earl jones has a very small part in sleepaway camp well we do have a returning actor in this movie who has been on the podcast before we haven't had guests no, actors, <laughs> who but, has been an episode? No, who is it? I, I, uh, I, it's Max von Sydow as King. Oh, Osric. that's right. Yeah, from from Strange Brew. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he is is really small part in this. I was, I expected the movie to go back to him, and it just never did. This movie, I you know, I I really didn't like it if I'm honest. But it's it's kind of like you know, again, this is sword and sorcery. This is our second sword and sorcery. The first one was Deathstalker, which I enjoyed a lot more than Conan the Barbarian. Jesus, I genuinely just listen to yourself. For a I, second, know, I know, I know, mean, I'm listening. I'm sticking to my guns. Like Deathstalker's ripping off Conan. Conan is an original film. Like, you know, it's based yeah, on something. Yeah, but Deathstalker does but... it so much better and so no, much more entertainingly. Yeah. No, I, I, we are strongly uh, <laughs> opposed here. This is um... Patrick. If you had asked me about 15 years ago what I thought about this movie, I would have said this is one of the greatest movies ever made. Today, okay, like, and see, I'm not, I'm not there. I'm 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 not that far in the pro Conan camp, but <laughs> pro Conan. you know I'm, I'm yeah. far. I know more you're more pro. Jay Leno. I get it. Listen, I, I, Andy Richter sucks. He's annoying, <laughs> but like Conan, there's a lot to like here. Okay, well, with that, let's get into it. Out of an age undreamed of comes the most incredible adventurer of all, the man they call Conan, the Barbarian. Coming to a theater near you from Universal Pictures. <laughs> the movie opens up with a quote from Nietzsche, I believe, isn't it? Isn't, isn't it something like, that which does not kill us makes us stronger? Which I didn't even know was one of his quotes. Yeah, I didn't know he was a philosopher. I just knew him as the linebacker for the 1960s <laughs> Vince Lombardi Packers. <laughs> I think I've made that joke before. Probably. Here, because there's, uh, Ray, Ray Nitschke was the linebacker, and there's it's just a, I don't know, you, you don't come across that type of name too often, no. so you got to take advantage of it. 
The first 30 minutes of this movie is the story of how Conan became a tough badass. So we have a very yeah. kind of like Lord of the Rings-esque opening, even though this Where he's came talking out. to his dad? Is that a Lord of the Rings no, type no, listen, scene? it's all the smithing going on in the beginning. Conan's dad is a blacksmith. He's making a sword, and he's smithing this beautiful weapon. Coincidentally, his last name, the actor, is Smith. It's William Smith, I believe. <laughs> is it really? <laughs> not, not to be confused with Will Smith. I want to point out this actor, because first of all, he's got the big beard, and he looks exactly like Neil Breen in Twisted Pear when he yeah. has the fake yeah. beard. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but also William Smith. I, I I guess he's like a character actor, but I've seen him in some things and like some things not too long after. Apparently, he's in Red Dawn and he's in Rumblefish, which oh, is okay. the you know the I think S. E. Hinton novel, just like The Outsiders. But not even long after this, he he's completely normal in this movie. It's not a big role, but he has like a little speech talking to Conan. It's kind of like the Lion King, like the father son talk. You know, of course, James Earl Jones is the father in that. Mm-hmm. You know, this guy's in, in Get Even, or Get Even, also known as Champagne and Bullets, also known as Road to Revenge. It's one of those movies. Mm-hmm. But he, he he's the villain in that movie. He's Normad. But oh. <laughs> I don't know what happened to him at some point. His voice, just like, this dude must have been a huge chain smoker or something. You don't notice it in this movie, but like... He just looks and sounds awful in that movie. He's like uh, Michael Madsen in the later Tarantino uh, movies, like you know, where it's just like uncomfortable even just to hear him talk. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I want to I wanted to draw attention to that because he's like not terrible in this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. You know what? I know somebody who does a lot of cocaine allegedly, and their voice is doing the same thing. So I think it's probably cocaine and smoking. It's a combination okay. of those two. Really I mean, let's you. not speculate on this dead actor because <laughs> we really don't know. But, I mean, he just sounds awful in, in, yeah. most, in the other movies I've seen him in. So after Conan's dad smiths this sword, makes this sword, he gives it to Conan on top of this mountain. And he makes the point saying, like, you know, you can't trust anything in life. The only thing you can trust is steel. You know, follow this steel, live by the steel. The steel will guide you sort of thing. Yeah, there's like the riddle of, of, of steel, steel or yeah. whatever. There's, there's that thing. Well, sometime later, Conan's village is attacked by a, a band of barbarous peoples led by James Earl Jones. No, these are these are the civilized people, though. The barbarous people are the ones being attacked here. Oh, well, I guess Conan you're right, yeah. the barbarian. He's not Conan <laughs> he who fights barbarians. Well, he's kind of both. But these people have like a... Um, a symbol that they're marching under, which is like one snake with two heads under a black sun or something. Yeah. I, I can't describe it. You have to see the movie. It's The internet exists. You don't have to see the movie. <laughs> and apparently you would suggest not to. No, that, that's not true. I think everybody should watch this movie. I just, it's not as great as I remember. So James Earl Jones leads all these people into Conan's village, and they just kind of start indiscriminately slaughtering everybody. Not the children, though. Only the men and women, like all the adults. There's some really right. cool shots. Like, everything... It, like, people are being killed left and right, but then, like, a guy riding a horse crashes through somebody's hut, and then... <laughs> oh, that was awesome. <laughs> it was yeah. awesome. And then, like, and then they just start lighting everything on fire, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and, and it's in the snow, too, which is, uh, like... I kind of... I just... Yeah, it, the, it, I like the, the look of it. It always makes scene. stuff like that cooler when, when you have action scenes like that in the snow. 
Well, Conan's dad jumps out of his house and starts taking on these people with his brand new shiny sword that he's made, but he does eventually get slain. He gets struck down. There's just too many guys, you know. And they're on horses, too. Yeah, exactly. And Conan's mom is kind of protecting Conan. Conan's mom is gorgeous, by the way. That's probably like a model. She's probably not really an actress. Oh, no, 100%. So she's kind of holding Conan back, and James Earl Jones and his gang of people approach. At this point, he's taken Conan's father's sword, and there's this awesome shot where he turns to walk away, but then spins right around and just takes Conan's mom's head right off. But the shot is framed in a way that little kid Conan is holding his mom's hand, and then the body just Mm -hmm. kind of falls away from him. It's just such a beautiful, interesting shot to look at, you know? Then, (laughs) kind of like... (laughs) Kind of like something you'd see in a comic book, I guess. You have all of these children in the village rounded up and, like, led across mountains and across plains and stuff to this mill. Is this a common comic book thing? Is there a lot of child slavery? Well, it's just stupid. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, so all these kids are led to this mill. But instead of being a mill, it could be called the machine that gets people swole. Or the machine that gets people jacked. I like how they, they, they creatively shoot this. Like, it's shot, like, over time. Yes. And as time passes, you see fewer and fewer kids around Conan, and you see, yeah. like, just loose chains hanging there like those kids didn't make it or whatever. Yeah. And then eventually, of course, we get the reveal of adult Conan, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who is obviously absolutely ripped. So he's huge. He's, like, bigger than everybody else in this movie. And then at this point, he becomes Maximus uh, Decimus Meridius. He becomes the gladiator. They decide to enter him into, like, gladiatorial combat stuff. If you, you know, if, if animalistic sounds oh my God, yes. uh, <laughs> are, okay. your, are your thing, you know, then, then you're going to get, you're going to get your rocks off with this movie. The first noise Arnold makes is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Arnold has that great grunt or whatever. It's funny because it's like, it's probably, I, it's probably most famous in Total Recall when he's like on the surface of Mars and his eyes are, you know, yeah. exploding or whatever. Like, but he's and it's always funny. <laughs> and you know why it's funny? It's like it's nobody else when they're just like doing random like yelling noises. Those yells don't have an accent. Somehow Arnold's do. Yeah. <laughs> like because because yeah. obviously Arnold the Austrian has this really 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 strong accent that still to this day he hasn't lost. And somehow these noises sound like they're like they have the Arnold accent. It's amazing. It's it's always always funny. And the fact that he doesn't say a line before he's he's <laughs> finally in that gladiatorial arena and he's just like ah, when the guy <laughs> jumps on him. It's it's fantastic. I've written down what his first line is in this movie. What the whole what Conan as a character's first line is and ultimately. <laughs> I don't know if you remember it, but I'll read it to you in a minute. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's still a ways off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's still like because 10 he from he now. eventually gets like he's he gets studded out to this random woman. He like he still hasn't said anything at that point. Yeah, well, he's like won he's, all these he, gladiatorial yeah, he's, matches. Exactly, he's such a good gladiator that they decided to take him to the east, where he's studded out to women, and where he's like reading poetry and philosophy. Apparently, and this is where he learns to read and write. So he's not Which a he's, isn't he's not at a dumb all barbarian. important. 
Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> but that's also not, it doesn't come back. And I like how we say he's studded out. I think they describe it as he learns to love or something like that. And by love, what they mean is rape women, afraid women yeah. who are put into like bamboo and concrete cages with him. While everybody's watching too. It's, <laughs> it's really kind of, I mean, it's dehumanizing in the way that that would be when in any kind of thing with slavery. I actually like how they depict that. Mm-hmm. It, it feels very kind of realistic you know obviously this is a fantasy movie this isn't you know but they they still have like some attention to detail that makes it resemble kind of western history i guess yeah yeah so this is kind of where his first speaking line comes up arnold and all of these like eastern peoples who've been teaching him how to like sword fight and everything are sitting around and they're talking about something like the meaning of life or they ask you know like what is the meaning of life What is best in life? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of your women. Yeah, that's that's right. That's his first line. That's a it's the best line in the movie, probably. It's it's one of the few he says that I can understand. There's like a a couple times where he's like talking about whatever god he believes in, and I genuinely yeah, have no idea what he says. It? Yeah, Crom. Eventually, though, Big Arnie, he's just let go by his by his handlers. I guess I also didn't explain this. There's a narrator. There's like a narration over this whole first half hour. Yeah. Is that the older version of Subutai? Is Subutai the archer friend? Yes. No, it's the wizard in the hut. Oh, it's the wizard? Okay. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so the the narrator just says they let him go because he's like a wild animal that, that they've just kept captive too long. So they let him go. And immediately on being let go, Arnold quite literally stumbles into like the tomb of a king and steals his sword and starts going on an adventure i like this scene where he finds the cave it's it's a it's it's a nice visual metaphor for you know you see the sword still this the sword still works it's still grand it's it's yeah you know it's revered it's being held by this king but the king has long died but this sword still like so it just kind of reinforces the steel is the strongest thing most important thing yeah and then at the end of that scene it's great because he takes he kind of pries the sword from this skeletal hand and then i believe it's the head of the king leans forward and i think the crown falls off or something and arnold kind of acknowledges him you know it's the passing of this blade from one to another This next scene might be one of my favorite ones. So Arnold's just walking around, which, by the way, this whole movie was filmed in Spain. They were originally going to film it in, like, Lithuania or Latvia or something like that. Or Estonia. I don't know. Some of it was even filmed in the Tabernus Desert. Yes. Which is, of course, the location of all those spaghetti westerns and stuff, the Sergio Leone movies. All of the outdoor scenery is is beautiful. You have those kind of cool, like, white rocks that you find in, in that certain part of Spain. You know what I'm talking about? This That's where, like, this witch's hut is... <laughs> abutted yeah so he walks into this witch's hut this witch kind of invites him in and she goes oh i have a vision and that vision is that you are going to crush the snakes of this world and arnold's like whoa does the snake have two heads but it's one snake and it's like a sign with like a black sun am i gonna find these guys and she goes if you want to hear the rest of my vision you gotta fuck me first (laughs) so your words not hers i mean it was pretty much her words she said i need something in return and that thing is sex and as they're in the middle of it she's kind of like she's telling him where to go next go to the city of zora is that it go to this city that'll be your next step and then she turns into like this witch (laughs) 
<laughs> that he throws off of her into a fire. Yeah, she's got like sharp teeth. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. He just like <laughs> chucks her into throws a fire. Throws her into the fire. Yeah. Yeah, and then she this starts the shooting most fire all around the room. Sex scene since uh, Twin Peaks: The Return just really gets the blood going. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, and then she turns into a fireball and flies away, which is pretty exciting. The next morning, Arnold is like, okay, well, I guess I'm ready to continue on my adventure. And he leaves the witch's hut, and there is a guy, an archer, chained to the side of this rock next to this house. And he's, Arnold's like, what are you doing here? He goes, I'm trying not to get eaten by wolves. Do you want to save me? He goes, yeah, sure. Now they're best friends, and now they're going on an adventure together. And this is, what was his name, Sabatai? Subatai. So Subatai leads him to this big walled city where King Osric rules. And we get like a, like, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a weird series of events where they're just kind of hanging out. Arnold is trying local cuisine and stuff. They're walking around. Uh, so he's eating lizards. They look like bandits. Everyone thinks they're just criminals. But they're there because they're asking about this dual snake and black sun sign. And nobody seems to know anything about it. So they've just walked around the city, talked to people, eaten lizards, called some prostitute sluts, and Arnold punches a camel in the face and knocks it out. Then they meet a woman... Because they're told, hey, the city is kind of, the city has like a snake cult in it. And it's kind of ruining things around here. And there's lots of treasure. Yeah, like a high priest of, of snakes. So they say, hey, go to the snake cult because there's lots of treasure. And, uh, you know, maybe try to save us from these snake people. So uh, they're going to break into this cult. And they run into a woman who, I forget her name, but I just call her Lady Thief. Valeria. Did you say malaria? <laughs> Val- oh. Valeria. <laughs> Uh, Valeria, okay. The three of them team up and break in. They climb down these ropes. They shimmy down these ropes into this chamber. And Valeria takes the disguise of like a of an altar maid, I guess. A priestess. Yeah, that's it. Arnie and what's his name again? Subatai? Subatai, god it. damn it. I keep on forgetting. I just kept on calling him Archer throughout the whole movie. So then Arnie and Subatai descend lower where they find this beautiful jewel called the Eye of the Serpent, I believe, but also this giant fucking snake. Awesome. It's awesome. awesome like it, stuff. It, It's a really cool prop. Uh, yeah, it doesn't look great when it moves, but it looks really cool still. It looks pretty good. Uh, you know, yeah, for, for all things for, considered. For a big puppet snake, I assume, is what it is. It's, it's very good. Yeah. I mean, it looks a hell of a lot better than what they were doing in Anaconda. <laughs> and, and not that that's saying much. So, while Arnie and Subatai are are downstairs stealing this jewel, Valeria's upstairs and she's watching like this weird thing. Patrick, I'm losing my mind today. Ritual. Ritual, thank you. Where this woman is going to throw herself into this pit and be eaten by this snake. But as Arnie's stealing this jewel, the snake wakes up and starts to fight him. And he just (laughs) lops its head off after stabbing it two or three times through the head. And uh, Subatai shoots it with an arrow. And then this woman like jumps into the pit and realize that the snake is dead and she probably broke her legs she starts screaming and that's when everybody in this cult realizes something's up but they all escape out of this cult and they just kind of party hard for like three days spending all their treasure money that they stole and then valeria and um and conan sleep with each other yeah that's a theme of this movie conan sleeps with women that's i don't think that's a theme it's just a feature it's oh that's a good way to put it yeah that's a feature Oh, and also Conan on his way out, he finds the Black Sun dual snake symbol on the wall and he takes it with him. But a couple days later, King Osric calls the three of them together to to convene with him in his court because he has a proposition. He has a request. 
this snake cult is, is quite pervasive, really. It's kind of all over the place. But the big thing is that King Osric's daughter has been taken from him, and she's kind of like... She's being brainwashed. It's yeah. Like a, the, like a cult is, the, is definitely the right word. Exactly. Like, James Earl Jones has his own Jonestown. James Earl Jones. Jim, Jim Earl Jones. That's what <laughs> yeah. we call him. <laughs> Yeah, so it, 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 it's like a it's like a big problem. And he's talking about how in his own kingdom, in his in his own city, a, a kid stabbed his father through the heart with this serpent blade. And he's like, "Is there one waiting for me? I need you to save my daughter, bring her back to me. You can have all the jewels you want. Here, take a bunch of rubies that I'm gonna throw in mm-hmm. some cups. You can take as many as you want. Just promise to get my daughter back." So Conan wants to do this mainly because he wants to get revenge for the murder of all of his peoples. Valeria and Subatai, and they don't really want to go. So late one night, Conan sneaks out on his horse and starts riding towards this mountain place. What's it called? The Mountain of Mountain of Power, where Doom's snake cult resides. You know, you know what the problem with this movie is? Like, lots of things happen, but they also don't happen. You know what I mean? Like, it's a two-hour-long movie. That's what I would use to describe Valley of the Dolls. Well, that too. Because 90% of the plot happens off-screen in that movie. See, the problem is all of the plot in this movie happens on-screen. That's not a problem. No, but there's not much talking. There's not much explanation. It's visual storytelling. Yeah. like you, Listen, it's it's Arnold. You don't want a lot of dialogue <laughs> in an Arnold movie, first of all. Okay, why is his best role The Terminator? Because he barely says anything. Like, he, Arnold is very limited as an actor. I guess you're right. But it's funny that in, like, Valley of the Dolls, in, like, the first 15 minutes, you have more dialogue, probably, than in the whole entirety of Conan. Do, do, do you think there should have there should have been more narration in this movie? Because the narration, it feels like it kind of comes and goes. Up to the point where Conan leaves for the Mountain of Power, we still have the narrator, who is who, it turns out, is this old wizard. That Conan meets right before he gets to played the... by Mako. Yeah, who who I don't even know who Mako is. I he's a guy. I I know he's in the <laughs> I know he's in the second Conan movie. I he's like somebody. He's he's famous enough to go by one name. Okay, he's he's you know he's in the Madonna <laughs> Oprah category of of people, right? Yeah. Okay. I guess you're right. I'll give it to you. Is Japanese guy. But you're right. The, the narration kind of comes and goes. Like it's there for the first thirty odd minutes. And then afterwards, it just kind of comes and goes up until you meet Mako the wizard. <laughs> um, and then the story just kind of continues and then ends with no more narration because now you've met the narrator, really. Well, no, I mean, the narrator, he comes back at the end, I think. Yeah, right before the Conan, title. Yeah, 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 whatever. So anyways, Conan sets off uh, to the Mountain of Power and he runs into Wizard Man. Who doesn't really leave much of an impression the first time we meet him, I don't think. No, he's like living in a hut in the grounds, I guess you could call it, of like an old kingdom or something. He's living amongst skeletons, like horse skeletons, which are kind of cool. They're all still like standing there propped up. Yeah, he just kind of exists. Yeah, and usually in in a movie like this, you know, Conan meets this old wise man. Usually he's going to, like, provide some kind of wisdom or something to help him defeat his enemies. And he really doesn't here. He kind of does that later a little bit. I mean, not so much wisdom, but he becomes important later. Yeah, here he just kind of says, oh, I will point you in the exact direction of the Mountain of Power. Just be careful when you get there. 
Yeah, you know, not not a whole lot, you know, not not anything a GPS couldn't do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, Conan gets to the Mountain of Power, and there's like a bunch of worshippers there. At one point, they all have to disrobe and put on like these worshipping garments. But Conan, who starts talking to a possibly gay priest, pulls him aside and knocks him out to put on his priest clothes so he can infiltrate the cult. And the reason I say he's possibly gay... <laughs> is because Conan says, I don't want to take my clothes off. And the guy kind of like parts his Conan's clothing and he goes, but why? You're so full and filled out and you should be proud of your body. <laughs> that's, you say possibly gay. That's just, that's just body positivity there. I guess you're right. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we'll spin it that way. Conan is then this kind of like awful priest where he's just like waving to people. And they find him out right away. Oh, right away. Like well, it's, he gives... it's, the disguise does not work. No, and he gives like his serpent medallion thing that he pulled off the wall to one of James Earl Jones's buddies. And they're immediately like, oh, this guy's an idiot and he's not a priest. So they capture him immediately and haul him to a different area to, to I guess, like a weight judgment from James Earl Jones. This is kind of a great scene because, again, James Earl Jones is a pretty good actor. And he's really carrying this second half of the movie and every line that he's saying, you believe that he is like this thousand-year-old ancient being, and you you genuinely believe that he could be the leader of a cult, you know, that could yes. like this, these these evil people who are doing bad things or whatever, right? Conan, he's pretty roughed up, and he says, "Look, I don't like you. I came here to kill you to get revenge for my people that you slaughtered, but also to get my dad's sword back." And James Earl Jones just kind of scoffs, and he's like, "Oh." That must have been years ago when I was still into steel. <laughs> and now he's all about the power of flesh. I love and how he demonstrates this. This is really uh, neat. Like, it's it's so good. Like, this scene is so amazing. And he says, watch this. And he just points up to a rock. And there's a bunch of worshippers standing there. And he says, you, come here. Come, come. He points to a woman. And she just jumps off the rock. And this thing's like 100 feet tall. And she crashes through this wooden floor and she's laying there dead. And he said, see, look at this. This is the power of flesh. Steel is nothing. Look what the body can do. Look what the mind can do. This is the power of flesh. Nothing is stronger than flesh. And he's kind of holding up his arms. He's like, look. Done with Conan, he says, look, guys, crucify him. So all the, all the henchmen drag Conan out to the desert and crucify him to like this giant tree that's covered in vultures. <laughs> we don't know how long he's laying there for, but... We get these great shots of, like, vultures actually picking away at his skin. And uh, he, he looks pretty dead. <laughs> but then he manages to grab a vulture by the neck with his teeth, and he breaks the vulture's neck, which is a pretty badass thing to do. But just as it looks like Arnold's going to die in the desert, um, oh no, what's his name again? Uh, <laughs> Subutai runs up and saves him. And Subutai and Valeria, they take him back to the wizard, who they're like, you know, I want you to save... Arnie, he's, you know, he's, he's got to get revenge. He's got to do this, whatever. We've got to save this princess. You got to save him. And the wizard says, sure, I can save him. And he, there's a great scene where he's like painting words all over Arnie's body, which looks really cool. It's like very kind of pagan ritualistic. I like that. It's very Japanese mysticism. There's a movie called Kwaidan, Kwaidan from the 60s. It's like a Japanese... It's a, a Japanese like ghost story anthology thing, and then the famous image from that movie is just a guy covered in like tattoos, like, oh, okay. like this. It look it looks very similar to that. 
I don't know if Mako's in that. He probably isn't, but maybe. Isn't that the name of a shark, a Mako shark? Yes. What a I'm cool not even name. sure it's pretty. I have a feeling it's probably supposed to be pronounced Mako, you know, but I, I have no idea. I just, I'm saying Mako because that's what I've always called the shark. Yeah. It's a windshield replacement company too, isn't it? Like, a, Is it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. There's like some car repair Mako thing. Maybe it's a thing in, in Wisconsin. Hey, Sharon Tate's from Wisconsin in Valley of the Dolls. Did you catch that? No, I didn't actually, but that's yeah. great. <laughs> she, she, she has a she has a call from Milwaukee, and she talks to her mother, and is like, "Oh yeah, Sharon Tate. Yeah, she's from Milwaukee. That's great." Conan gets painted up and then left in the desert to kind of uh, to, to let the spirits deal with him. And the wizard has this great bit where he says, "The spirits are going to come tonight for him. They're going to try to take him." And if they don't take him, they're going to demand that we give something else. So night falls, a, a storm rolls in, and this weird mist surrounds Conan, and he's lifted off the ground. And they've, like, tied him to a rope so he doesn't just float away, I guess. <laughs> and Valeria rushes in, and she starts pushing this mist back, but this mist forms into, like, figures. And she's fighting with them, and they're fighting with her, and she's trying to hold Conan down. And eventually she wins. She wins out, and Conan wakes up in her arms, and it's very kind of like a loving thing. The next step, though, <laughs> Conan wakes up and immediately goes, Oh, man, I feel great. When are we going to get this princess back, and when am I going to get to kill James Earl Jones? So I think it's the wizard who tells them that there's a gorge behind the mountain where this cult is that has like lots of caves that have entrances to the to the place where the cult hangs out. So they immediately go there, and they sneak into a cave and find, like, this room full of, like, bodies hanging on racks and stuff like that, and these guys carrying this weird soup-like liquid. The room immediately beyond this room is, like, an orgy pleasure room. The best way Mm -hmm. I can describe it is it looks like a giant fountain in the center of the room without any water running, and it's just full of people having sex and drinking this is it's just very caligula not not a lot of nudity but it no you know it, it reminiscent of of those grand old roman orgies that we all know so much about they also see that james earl jones is sitting at kind of like up a staircase above this orgy with the princess that they're there to save and we get and we get close-ups of his face, which is just it's clearly makeup, and it's like just slowly changing. It's becoming a snake. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, his arms, like his arms, get pulled into his to his coat to his robes, and he just turns into like this giant python, <laughs> and then starts slithering away into a hole in the wall, <laughs> which is great. The trio, they don't really have a plan. I guess their plan is to just wing it because they walk in and they start grabbing candles very sneakily and they start lighting curtains around the room on fire. Yeah, Arnold lights the place on fire. Um, Subutai kind of holds back for a bit until the real fighting starts and Valeria is the one that initiates the fighting. Yeah. Uh, or actually, no, I think it is um, Subutai. Yeah, Subutai I think Subutai hits on, the guy behind the that pot. guy. He likes taps him on the shoulder and then he turns and then he kills him. And then Valeria beheads a guy, which is awesome. Yeah, and then Arnold's just running around slicing people up, which all looks great. Like all the blood effects in this movie is great because it's not like a lot of sprayage, but there's a lot of blood when somebody gets hit. And I like that. Yeah, this is a really violent movie. I'm just picturing, I mean, I know there was a remake to this movie, like a Conan reboot that I didn't see. Mm-hmm. But like just the 
a sword and sorcery movie coming out in the 21st century. Like there, there were some Hercules movies. I think there was a Hercules movie with like the rock and stuff. And it's like, those are all like PG 13 movies. It's, it's nice to see this kind of thing delivering on the, on the blood and gore. Yeah, we, for we sure. Get multiple beheadings. We get some blood sprays. It's, it's great. It's fantastic. Yeah. There's so much carnage in this scene. And there's even a great bit where Conan flips like this giant soup pot and all kinds of body parts fall out of this pot and down the stairs. And it's like this pot is like the liquid is so hot that it's just steaming on the stairs and stopping guys from rushing up the stairs. But there's like a head rolls out some hands, which is great. Mm-hmm. Valeria runs up and grabs the princess, who's pretty reluctant to leave because she's been brainwashed, as we've said. And they all just kind of run out. They all escape on horseback. And as they're riding away, James Earl Jones, who's now a human again... He, <laughs> it's so stupid, but it's great. He picks up this snake and then like straightens it and turns it into like a snake arrow. <laughs> like it doesn't become an arrow. It's just a snake still. And he shoots it and he hits Valeria. Mm-hmm. They ride a little bit a ways, but then dismount. And unfortunately she dies in Conan's arms as she's kind of like saying, oh, I, I had to owe the gods something. I wouldn't let them take you. I wouldn't let the spirits take you. And this is that thing. Mm-hmm. A little distraught, possibly heartbroken, I don't know, he is Conan. They take her body back and burn it on like a big funeral pyre near the wizard's house. But this is where Conan and Subutai and Waco Wizard are going to make their stand. Mako. Mako. Mako, you're talking about another cult. <laughs> I know. They decide to make their stand against James Earl Jones and all of his goons that are going to show up. And try to not only kill them, but also take the princess back that they stole, that they have to obviously give back to King Osric. They set up all kinds of booby traps and spikes and stuff like that. When the people do eventually show up, the wizard isn't really doing anything, he's just kind of hanging out. But Subutai and Conan are really just beating the shit out of people. Like, horses are riding past these stones, and they're jumping out from behind them and beheading people or hitting them right in the chest. Or there's a great shot where somebody's riding towards Conan, and I think he takes the horse's legs out, and it just collapses and shoots the guy like another 20 feet. It's like a really exciting action scene where there's lots of blood and gore. But perhaps one of the coolest things is when Conan tricks one of, like, the James Earl Jones' main henchmen into thinking that he's hiding behind a rock and the henchman hits this helmet which sets off a trap with that's just like a giant wooden spike that gets swung around <laughs> and hits him right mm-hmm. in the chest and it's so great there's another bad guy another main henchman that runs at conan and uh, he's got his father's sword and this henchman goes up to block conan's swing but he just shatters the sword and then kills this henchman yeah one one of these two guys cuz the these the last two you talked about are the main henchman mm-hmm. one of them i think is sven old thorson who's like a famous stuntman kind of like a oh really supporting player in a lot of action movies the other one is a former defensive end in in like the 60s oh. so they cast him because he's a big guy obviously but that's a i mean they only made two of these conan movies i think red sonia is like somewhat related i don't know if i know arnold's in that i don't know if he plays conan but it's i think from the same comic book creator if it's not literally in the conan universe but this is a thing in the in the conan movies to cast athletes because in conan the destroyer the sequel wilt chamberlain is in it 
So uh, Arnold okay. may look huge here. He does not look huge next to Wilt Chamberlain. He's like a foot <laughs> taller than him. So that's that's kind of neat. So yeah, this this gets it started with Ben, either Davison or Davidson. I'm not sure, but you know, like a minor celebrity former football player guy. You know, honestly, like if they're gonna make a bunch of sword and sorcery movies, let's say in the next ten odd years, that's all they should do. They should just hire like bodybuilders and athletes who could like do their own stunts. Rudy too, Gobert. Maybe. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, Arnold supposedly does do most of his own stunts, maybe all of them. Also, I'm looking up Sven Ole Thorson. He was he was probably like a he was a bodybuilder. He was probably like buddies with Arnold. Because he was Denmark's strongest man in 1983. No way. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, and then, then he went on to be in a bunch of movies. So, like, yeah, he and... He, oh, he's in Twins? Like, he's in other Arnold <laughs> movies. So they, so they were friends. The he, he's movie. in Predator. He's also in Conan the Destroyer playing a different character because he dies in this one. Yeah. <laughs> Total Recall he's in. So he's all over the place in, like, the 80s. Well, yeah, mostly Arnold movies, but yeah, he's in Ghostbusters too. He's a stuntman in Ghostbusters too. I don't, I don't know. He's in Overboard. Is he Kurt Russell's stuntman in Overboard? Oh, really? <laughs> well, in like the last ten odd minutes of this movie, they have successfully repelled James Earl Jones, and he's left. They've killed all of his men, so he's left to go back to his cult. And Conan shows up that night when James Earl Jones is addressing his his peoples. Yeah, he, he's giving a classic just evil speech. Yeah, he's about to get everybody stuff. to drink the cool. Saruman speaking to the Urukai kind of thing because he's like above him. It's yeah, visually reminiscent of something like that. Well, and also, you know, before before I get to the end of this movie, I should say that all of the sets in this movie are visually interesting. Like, there's always something going on. They look neat. You know. Yeah, they, I think that the highlight is probably the orgy room. Yes, uh, I agree. as a set, but yeah, I think the sets all are awesome and they're kind of like classical like sort of there's there's greco-roman there's a little egyptian in this uh mountain thing yeah it it looks great ron cobb was the production designer who he's uh he's got a number of credits aliens perhaps most notably well as you mentioned james earl jones at the top of this what can only be described as like a giant staircase with a temple on top Conan sneaks up behind him, and James Earl Jones kind of tries to talk his way out of it. This is the Luke, I am your father scene, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, pretty much. He's like, you know, oh, you've come back to me, my son. You are my son, and I am your father, for you don't have a father now, so who will be your father? Other than well, me? not just that, but like, he's like, I am the reason your life has purpose. Exactly, he's, yeah. He's, he's like, like, I gave you purpose. The reason you're here is because of me. I like that he's he's not, I mean, obviously he's no match for Arnold, like physically, but he's trying to brainwash him here. And, and yeah. I like that. It's, it's just, it's some clever writing that this villain, he's not your typical bad guy movie villain you know kind of generic like there, there's something to him he's he's interesting he's a lot more he's got more going on yeah i agree but one of the coolest beheadings i think of this movie happens here because conan isn't buying any of it he grabs james earl jones by the shoulder and just kind of slashes at him at his throat with his broken father's sword and then he turns him around and slashes at the other side of his neck effectively <laughs> decapitating him and then he just takes his head 
grabs it by the hair, and throws it down this staircase towards all these onlookers. Well, first we get the obligatory shot from behind him where he's just holding up the head, which oh, it's that is always like the coolest thing. The, oh, that 100%. type of shot. Yeah. Where, you know, predator holding up the skull or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's, it's awesome. It's always so cool. Well, and this looks even more cool because it's at night. There's like a thousand extras in front of Arnie all holding candles. They're off in the distance. There's so many of them that I wondered, like, you see movement, but I wonder how much of that is, like, matte painting or something, because oh, just yeah. because of how many people it was. You know, I, I'm curious. I, I wonder if maybe they have a couple dozen and the rest are uh, matted in or something. I'm not yeah, that would be interesting, because sure. there was a scene earlier where they were walking towards the temple, and you could see them walking far off in the distance, like a half a kilometer away, kind of like around a mountain. And I was wondering if that's either a matte painting or they just have people standing there like from the crew or something but anyway arnie chucks his head down towards them throws his sword down and starts making his way down this staircase and as he's doing that all the people are dousing their candles in in like this well at the bottom of the staircase they've kind of mm-hmm. given up on this cult and then probably the coolest shot of the movie is he grabs like an oil lamp Arnold grabs an oil lamp and just starts swinging it around his head like an Olympic, I don't know, like an Olympian, and then whips it up at the temple, and it crashes, and then the whole temple goes up in flames. So he has successfully taken revenge. And then we kind of end on an image of an old Conan sitting in a throne with his sword, and then we get kind of like a little blurb where, oh, like the adventure continues. He went west, and he conquered things, and he did more things, and this isn't the end of the story for Conan, and he became a king by his own hand. And then that is the end of the barbarian epic, Conan the Barbarian. Patrick, my friend, how did you like it? I liked it. it it's a bit of a messy movie. Some of the weird wizard and witchcraft stuff is is like a it's just weird but at the end of the day you got arnold kicking ass this is like the i mean other than the terminator obviously this is like the perfect role for him because arnold can't play every man he he doesn't seem like he's from this earth he seems he's like a larger than life figure he needs to play either a killer robot or ancient barbarian of of mythic proportion you know he could do like a hercules type mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. and so he's he's great at it i i think james earl jones is is a is an excellent villain i like the production design i think the action could have been better but i at least like that they you know delivered on the blood and the violence there's multiple beheadings which is always appreciated yeah i mean it's it's an exciting adventure movie i i liked it quite a bit jim you've already kind of mentioned you don't like it tell me why well i'll give it to you that's that it's an adventure movie i don't know if it's an exciting adventure movie i think parts of it are exciting but i don't think like as a whole it's exciting you know what i mean like i would say something like to me personally my one of my favorite of all time adventure movies is the lord of the rings the fellowship of the ring okay you know like the stakes are laid out there's high stakes they're crossing mountains and going into mines and fighting big creatures. Well, sure. Okay, yeah. yeah. No, but but this is it's Conan the Barbarian. It's not the yeah, epic so, of Lord of the Rings that had no. You're right, but, but fifteen but Conan, years of people's heart and soul put into it. Like it's not that. You're right, it, but Conan it, the Barbarian is marketed as this sword and sorcery epic when most of it is like montages of him riding around planes 
and look like looking at things and occasionally meeting people no, it's or you're like not. walking around a place calling prostitutes sluts like you know stuff like that like the action for me wasn't wasn't always super exciting like i thought when they right i think the action could have been better i think the yeah. action is one of the weaker aspects of the film the best action scene was when james earl jones's group came to the wizard's house area and they fought but like stuff when they're infiltrating the cult like things are just kind of happening and you don't even really know what's going on and it's almost like the characters don't even really know what's going on they're just doing things you know what i mean like you're talking specifically that there's not really like a plan when they go in to steal the princess yeah they're just like hey let's go in and that's it (laughs) and i and i think that's um that's similarly true for when they infiltrate the cult and he ends up stealing the jewel and he fights a giant snake that's they don't really have a plan like why does valeria dress up as a priestess that's not really important but arnold decapitates a giant snake like i'll I'll take it i'll I'll take a somewhat directionless scene if we get that kind of payoff yeah or like there are things throughout the movie that seem super relevant but then are just not relevant whatsoever like you just said, like Valeria dressing up as a priestess or when they steal the Eye of the Serpent, like that never comes back. That's only brought up once by James Earl Jones. He's like, oh, you probably gave it to some whore. Ugh, I guess we'll never see it again. It's like, yeah, but what is it? What does it do? There's When Arnold takes the serpent crest off the wall and he's like, this is the this is the symbol I'm looking for. He's like walking around showing it to people. When he gets to the cult, he shows it to one of James Earl Jones's guys who takes it off screen and does whatever with it. We never see it again, but 10 seconds later, Arnold is captured. So it's like, well, okay. In, so, in the last thing, when he takes the symbol, it's like a medallion. We don't need to see that come back. That's how he tr- tracks yeah, but how did James they know, Earl Jones. How did they know that Arnold wasn't like a real cleric of this cult or whatever, right? Because like, James Earl Jones called him out. He's like, there's one among us who is... Uh, like, James Earl Jones, uh, how does he convince a woman to jump to her death like he's got he's mind reading you know mind control powers like that's how that's fine i i'm fine with that the characters that you do meet i just feel like they're not they're barely characters like the wizard like he just exists right or king osric he's he's in the movie for five minutes if that well yeah but he's he's just a a plot point really i i i do i do think the supporting characters valeria subatai could be better yeah it's just weird that it's like it's a two hour long movie but not much is said and i said this at the beginning not much really happens like a a lot of things happen but it feels like it doesn't if that makes sense it's such a long fucking movie it does not but like it's not that long it's two two hours hours, ten minutes that's 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 a perfect length for uh well i i mean you could sure but that's a fine length for a barbarian epic, a sword and sorcery epic movie with, with yeah. this level of production. If it's a lower budgeted, you know, Roger Corman, Deathstalker, I, I want that movie shorter for sure. But this movie has enough skill behind it to keep my interest for the full two hours. You know, I like I mentioned, there's some of the wizard stuff. It's not really my thing. I'm not really a fantasy person. So I didn't really enjoy that so much. But I'll tell you what kind of person I am. I am a giant snake being decapitated person. Yeah, and I, I see, listen, I scene. like the giant snake stuff. And then that also got me thinking, was that giant snake that killed also a person? Or was it just a giant snake? 
I think it's a giant snake. But, okay. I mean, it, you're right. It could have been. But, I mean, it's bigger than the James Earl Jones snake. Well, then, oh, also, too, now, would you agree with me on this? The first 30 minutes of the movie, which is, like, the whole backstory of Arnie, is the most interesting part of the movie. Maybe not the most interesting, but it's interesting. As far as the action goes, the gladiatorial stuff is probably the least interesting action. Yeah, because it's just two dudes hugging each other. <laughs> yeah, and then is Arnold... <laughs> but... I, I do think there's creative filmmaking in there. Like I talked about, like the shots of him pushing the mill thing around. And... Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's a weird movie because the first 30 minutes, I think in, in my opinion is, is really good. It's interesting and it's, it's got a pretty good pace to it for the most part because things are happening. You see this character developing, you see lots of plot points kind of happening and you're getting a this background story to this character. But again, like you see things that, aren't important like him learning to read or whatever right like like who fucking cares but the rest of the movie is just like there's so much of things not happening or like when things how's he going to become governor if he can't read (laughs) yeah i wonder how well he can read actually no i like yeah no i i was going to say this is the first on screen confirmation that arnold schwarzenegger is literate i think that's important (laughs) scene Yeah, I don't know. It's just an interesting movie. Like, when you compare it with that dumb Deathstalker movie, like, Deathstalker was stupid, but it was short enough that it felt like it wasn't ever really slow at points. But, like, comparing the two, you can see how Deathstalker just stole the plot points, really, from Conan the Barbarian. Yeah, because Deathstalker had the princess they were trying to take and everything. It's just also interesting, though, when you look at a list, and, I mean, I found this list on Wikipedia, so forgive me. But when you look at a list of, like, sword and sorcery movies made, you have, like, a couple in the 40s, a couple in the 50s and 60s, then you have maybe, like, a dozen in the 70s, and then you have, like, a hundred in the 80s, and you have maybe a handful before 1982. Like, sword and sorcery was getting popular, and then you have Conan the Barbarian, which then spawned hundreds of sword and sorcery movies, and then you watch Conan the Barbarian... And you're like, uh, really? This this spawned a shit ton of movies and and made a bunch of movies like ape off this. Like really? Like when I was a kid, I liked. It. I thought it was fun, but as an adult, I'm like, oh my god, it's just so fucking slow. Well, you know, for for you know, movies that spawn a bunch of knockoffs. It's not always about the quality. It's a it's That's a true. lot of it. So much of it goes into can we do this cheaply? Because obviously Roger Corman found a way to do it cheaply. I mean, Roger Corman found ways to do Star Wars cheaply, too. So, I mean, like, you know, it's any kind of, like, barbarian wasteland type movie. Like, you can do that. Like, where where Conan shines, I think it has the actual production value in the sets and stuff. Mm -hmm. But you can do those types of sets pretty cheap. But, I mean, I think this movie benefits from those not being done cheap. But, you know, you can do castle sets and stuff like that castles and temples and and you know it's like a, you know escape from new york is ripped off a bunch and it's because you can do you can find a rundown alley and shoot a post-apocalyptic scene in there you know i, I think mm-hmm. that conan is a little bit like that and also like conan was a pretty big hit yeah and i think you know all the other movies like oh we're trying to be as big as conan but they just can't because they don't have arnold like there is he's the selling point of this movie he can't act but he is a star Mm -hmm. and this is really the movie that kind of 
was i guess the first movie to kind of recognize that and he's he's the most unconventional movie star in film history probably but (laughs) yeah he's a star and like he does have that star power yeah i i his dialogue i mean he can't deliver a line to save his life like some i i did mention some of his dialogue like i genuinely didn't know what he was saying yeah like yeah he's talking it, to it hard about to hear, the god sure. that he <laughs> from laps to the four winds laps from his mountain yeah it, um, but whatever like there's something about arnold it's not just his body he has a charisma yeah i agree well from one slow movie to another well in my opinion slow movie to another definitely slow movie how about you take it away patrick Now, the motion picture that shows what America's all-time number one bestseller first put into words. I wasn't much of a man living with you, Needy, but that's over. I'm straightened out now. With that little whore! That little whore makes me feel nine feet tall. Dolls, the instant turn-on. For instant love. Instant excitement. Ultimate hell. All right, so Valley of the Dolls is based on a best-selling novel. This is kind of an unusual film for us to be covering because it's, you know, we've generally done genre movies. We've done horror. We've done action, sci-fi. Like Sharon Tate's character in Valley of the Dolls, we've dabbled in French softcore erotic films. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but Valley of the Dolls, it's it's a social issue drama. I, I don't mm-hmm. know how many of these movies are on our list. But the reason it's on the list is because it's a little, you know, it's the it's the sixties. It's drugs. It's not really. It's not like a hippie movement type movie at all. But it has a little bit of that with the drugs and everything. And also, it's also kind of like a feminist sort of movement movie. For sure. I mean that is not why it's on the list. I was explaining why it's on the list, but no, it is. <laughs> and then also like there's a tiny bit of like reefer madness to it where it's like I don't feel like the filmmakers really understand drugs and yeah. they're not it's not reefer madness is literally just a propaganda movie and it's become a cult classic cuz it's so terrible. Um this movie also a bit of a cult classic also because it's kind of terrible. But it's certainly not the same kind of terrible as like Reefer Madness. But yeah, anyways, and then we've also got this. Um, I mean, we've got Sharon Tate, which is fun and exciting, and she didn't make too many movies, and we get to see her die in this one. So, <laughs> so this is a movie that basically has three plots. It's it's got three kind of main character women here. We've got. Anne Wells, who's Barbara Parkins, who is an educated woman from New England who moves out to New York to get a job at a law firm where she works as like an assistant to basically a talent lawyer. And that's how she ends up meeting these other characters. Because we also have Neely O'Hara, who is um, Petty Duke, who is an up-and-coming Broadway star who gets fired from the play she's on because the old... The the actual star of the play is worried that she's going to upstage her because she's so talented. And <laughs> so she ends up doing other things in her career. She becomes a film star. And then we have Jennifer, who is Sharon Tate, who she's, 
I guess like a showgirl that we in the, who eventually her career goes in other ways and mm-hmm. so yeah this is these are our three main characters and i think one of the most frustrating things about this movie is that so much happens off screen i yes. think this friendship the the three women as friends never really translates because we so rarely see all three of them on screen at the same time we see a lot of scenes with two of them yeah and then they talk about the other one but it's so weird how much happens off screen here yeah and and you're kind of introduced to the characters pretty quickly it feels like it just kind of snowballs like as soon as you meet the characters you're like oh these people all know each other now oh and that's oh they're friends yeah absolutely yeah because i feel like the bonding the friendship like happened off screen basically yeah in Anne's story, Anne starts dating. I thought she's he's her boss, but I guess it's her boss's partner named Lion, which mm-hmm. is an awesome name. More fitting in the Conan movie, I think, <laughs> probably. But Lion the Barbarian. Yeah, they're dating for a while, and then he eventually breaks up with her. He breaks up with her in a letter, and this is to go become a writer. He wants to just he goes back home to England. Because mm-hmm. his, uh, I think his mother's from England. Then Neely, after getting fired from her play, she goes and becomes a big star in Hollywood. But she also becomes addicted to pills. Now, I, this is something I didn't know aside from this movie. But apparently, Dahl was slaying for pill, or yeah, maybe I had a specific no type of pill. And it's, so, so Neely is hooked on pills, basically to make her lose weight. Or, you know, curb her appetite, and then also make her sleep. Patty Duke as Neely, who was such a nice kid. And then someone put her name in lights and turned her into a lush. She took the red pills. Sure, I take Doss. I've got to get some sleep. I've got to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and sparkle, Neely. Sparkle. And then she also, you know, she becomes a bit of an alcoholic, too. Or maybe more than a bit. <laughs> and meanwhile, Jennifer starts dating this nightclub singer named Tony. Mm-hmm. Okay, this this is confusing too. Tony's half-sister is named Miriam. And Miriam, I guess, is the manager of one or more of these characters. It's it's very confusing. Yeah. It's, it's confusing who's a manager, who's a lawyer, who's like... Because there's all of these supplemental characters. And actually, I mean... I would maybe even say Lion is probably a bigger character in this movie than Jennifer, but I, I do think like the film, the way the film has like three plots, it, it's all around these women. I think Jennifer definitely has the least screen time. Sharon Tate is the least screen time of these three, but yeah. So her husband, well, I guess yeah. First of all, they get married off screen. I should just should point that out <laughs> um, because there's there's this thing about how she. How he's like, oh yeah, my sister doesn't want me to get married. She thinks it'll hurt my career or something. And then, but then they just get married. And and I want to say we we learn they get married because of like some line that Miriam has his his half sister, who's played by Lee Grant. Don't Anne and Lion get married off screen? No, that's not what. No, happens. they no, never get right. married. That's right. That's the plot of the movie is that she wants to. She wants yeah. to marry him, but he doesn't want to marry. And then later on at the end of the movie, he wants to marry her, but she has learned that that's not a good, that's not a good fit. 
Yeah, listen, they throw out names and situations like confetti at a parade. You know, there's so much of it. I'm I'm confused even just listening to you. And I've watched the movie one and a half times. Okay, so back to Tony. Tony is Jennifer's girlfriend, eventually husband. He's the singer who at some point off screen wants to get into acting. And then he loses his acting job. He gets fired. And Jennifer's trying to help him get a job. And she's trying to help him get a job through... Neely, of course, who's a big star and can probably do anything, but Neely at this point is cycling in her drugs and stuff, and she's kind of Mm -hmm. avoid them. And anyways, so Tony, not only has he lost his job, but he is also very sick. He collapses a few times and he has to go to a hospital, eventually to a sanitarium because he has Huntington's disease. So he's losing his memory. Of course, we don't really see that. We're told that Jennifer visits him in the hospital and she like didn't he like didn't recognize her or something. But we don't see that. It's really frustrating. (laughs) You know, you know, what this is like this is like this movie's like an episode of Friends or something. I was never a big fan of Friends, but it's like Friends always referenced things that you didn't see. But that the okay. characters knew, you know what I mean? It's like, well, remember that time that Joey did this? Yeah, I remember that time. Oh, ha, ha, ha. You know, this is like that, where they're like, oh, now this is happening. Oh, God forbid. Next scene. But did you hear that this has happened recently? It's like, Jesus Christ, show me something. Yeah. I'm getting confused. It's very frustrating storytelling. It it reads like a novel. Like, this would make a lot more sense on, on the written page, I think. You know, I, I'm sure the book... Or like a play on like on one stage, you know what I mean? Like a single stage, single set play or something. Yeah, it almost reminds me of there's a um, the novel by Henry James, The Portrait of a Lady. It's one of the greatest novels ever written, also one of the most frustrating ones. Halfway through the novel, it just j- jumps in time and so much has happened that we didn't see, but we learn it there. And it's a very stylistic choice. And then this movie is that, but with 45 different things. <laughs> there's there's one scene oh well, i guess we'll get to it but because yeah, i'm talking about jennifer's plot now you know jennifer's not particularly wealthy and then all of a sudden tony's got all these medical bills because he's in the sanitarium so miriam gets jennifer a job making french porno films i think they call them like art films or something yeah, but yeah, we know <laughs> we know and then so she goes off to france so she doesn't even see her husband and then there's a scene where it's Neely and Anne talking to each other, and Anne asks Neely, "It's like, hey, have you talked to Jennifer recently?" And she's like, "No, you know, she left. She's been in France for six months now." And it's like, "What? What? That was the last scene. <laughs> the last scene we saw her." I know. <laughs> and then in this, this could be a you know a, a product of the time, but but Anne, or excuse me, Neely does say that the last time she spoke to her, she was looking to get an abortion. Mm-hmm. Have you heard from Jennifer? She wanted to know where she could get an abortion. You know, this that could be a, uh, you know, it's 1967. We want to skirt around this issue. We can mention it. We can't really go into too much detail on it. But Jennifer is pregnant with Roman Polanski's baby. She finds out she's pregnant around the same time that Tony is having all these medical problems. So she gets an abortion off screen. And we don't even hear about it until six months after it happened, you know? Yeah. Like, what the, what the hell's going on? So, Neely just gets worse and worse with her drugs and alcohol. She she eventually has an affair with Ted Casablanca, 
which is, <laughs> is just a really fun name yet. <laughs> and there's, okay, this is kind of shocking how frequently the F word is thrown around here in this movie. And not that F word, the other one, right? Because <laughs> Ted Casablanca is a fashion designer or maybe yeah. like a costume maker on movies or something. <laughs> and so everyone assumes he's gay. He's a fag. Yeah, that's <laughs> they say that dozens of times. Yeah, it's impressive, I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, so, so Neely eventually marries him, so he's not gay. And then one time she she comes home drunk out of her mind and overhears Ted Casablanca in the pool with another woman. So she flips out. Then this is where Ted leaves her. But yeah, she throws that word around a bunch of times in this scene. <laughs> so her life has spiraled out of control. She's been fired from whatever movie she was in. This is uh, this is as she's won a Grammy at this point. She's a Grammy award winner, which we all know the Grammys don't mean anything. <laughs> but good for her. Here's that champagne you ordered, Mr. Simpson. Oh, thanks. Here. Wow! An award statue! Eh, oh, it's a Grammy. Hey! Don't throw your garbage down here! This is also around the same time that Anne gets hired as like a cover girl model for she's the Gillian girl for like a makeup yes. brand. Yeah. Neely's manager says you have to go into rehab and she agrees to but then she takes a bunch of drugs and I assume this is a vision right the where she's where she flies to San Francisco yes I assume it is yeah so she flies to San Francisco but she has a scene in a bar where she puts on her own song starts singing to it and then the um some bar patron insults her by saying she sucks or whatever she sounds terrible and then she like (laughs) Almost gets in a fight with this guy. Then she's wandering on the streets. She walks by a porno theater, which is showing a um, Jennifer North film, which is is shocking that she didn't choose a stage name for this. 1967, if you're going to be a porno actress, you're probably not using your real name. But... This, no. this is kind of a fun scene where, where she like looks at the poster and she's like, oh, do you still have that mole on on your keister? No, nope, they covered it up with makeup. <laughs> like that's it's kind of neat. <laughs> yeah. So and then the next time we see Neely, she is in the hospital because she has overdosed. Is this a dream or or are they implying that these diet pills make you hallucinate? This is what this is what I mean about. I don't think they understand how these drugs work. Yeah, it it definitely makes the movie even more confusing than I think it intended to be because you're because then you're trying to figure out you're like wait <laughs> what what's happening what's going on with these yeah. with these drugs. <laughs> also, this kind of happens on screen. It it kind of doesn't, but Anne at first is just going out to visit in California because again at at some point Neely moved to California. At some point Jennifer does. Anne goes out to visit. There's um, Jennifer's on the phone with her mother when um, they see her commercial on TV. And Anne says, like, oh, Jennifer's coming to visit, you know, in a, in a few days or whatever. She ends up meeting back up with Lion, and they start dating again. Lion is in California for some reason. I don't, I don't know. I <laughs> yeah, mean, he's, he's come back. lived in England. He's lived in... He's lived in New York, I guess. I guess he lives in California now. But there, there's a scene where they're like walking on the beach, and then so that's why it it kind of happens on screen where we, you see the characters reconnect. But 
when Neely wakes up in the hospital, she agrees to go to a sanitarium. At first, she's like, no, 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 it's a nut house. Like, and then they're like, no, 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 it's the same place Tony's at. <laughs> and she's like, sure, I'll go. <laughs> this is an odd scene here where she, she's in like the gardens, uh, you know, the outdoor section of the sanitarium. She's talking to her friends, Lion and Anne, and she's talking about her experience there. And I, th- and, and then they're kind of showing it there. And at this point, we see that Neely is a lot better. She's acting normal. She's not a crazy psychopath. But then in these like flashbacks or whatever, they show like how bad she was when she first got there. And I'm not sure if this is her Again, going back to, it's just kind of confusing about like the vision and stuff. I'm not sure if this is really what happened and they're just showing it in flashback or if she's just like exaggerating the mm-hmm. the poor treatment there. I think it's the former because she does appear to have gotten better. Well, and th- this whole thing is also strange too. I mean, lots of events in the movie because the passage of time is so non-existent. It's not clear. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's just, yeah, because I mentioned the consecutive scenes involving jennifer we see jennifer the (laughs) next scene they mention her and they said it was six months ago or something it's like what yeah so lion who i guess is now or maybe she had maybe he has been for a while but he's definitely her agent now Mm -hmm. says that she has been offered a lead role in a broadway play or probably musical so she's going to go out to new york lion joins her because he's basically there to just keep her under wraps, let her not get out of control. But before he leaves, Anne finds Neely's pills in her home or office or something. She throws them out, but then after Lion has gone to New York, she starts taking them. Anne does. Yeah. And she takes them because she's frustrated not being around Lion. I think she suspects Lion and neely are having an affair which i think they are it's it's yeah they it's, are. it's 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 yeah again it kind of happens off screen there's the <laughs> scene where he's trying to straighten his tie because he's supposed to go to a party <laughs> yeah. and and she's like bend down and then, and then she kisses him and then straightens his tie that's kind of like all we get of it there's also the scene this was strange to me where Anne calls neely's hotel room or apartment or whatever to talk to her and she's like hey can i speak to lion and she's like no he's not available right now i'll i'll tell him you called mm-hmm. and then when she hangs up the phone she just has a sinister look on his face and the music gets uh, on her face and the music gets super dramatic it's like did we just turn neely into a super villain all of a sudden it's like out yeah. of nowhere it's yeah. just strange and, and it also feels like, is this the only time Anne tried to reach out to Lion when he's in New York? Because that's what it feels like. Yeah. At any rate, Lion goes to a party, which is being attended by Anne's original boss before she gets hired as a model, uh, Mr. Bellamy, as well as the actress that first got Neely fired from that play years ago or maybe weeks ago. <laughs> And that is Helen Lawson, played by Susan Hayward. Susan Hayward as Helen Lawson, who had the talent to get to the top. And I'll make it she's basically playing Betty Davis, both in real life and in All About Eve, kind of, where she's this older, 
actress who's who's definitely a bit of a diva and it feels threatened by these younger people right so so yes that's that's a a fun performance by susan hayward she's really only in like two scenes but she's very good so lion's at this party and then neely shows up neely's not supposed to go but helen lawson ducks into the bathroom to get away from her but then she follows her in there and they get in a fight because uh helen lawson's like talking about like oh you know, maybe you're talented, but you're a druggy, and like you're not gonna <laughs> make it anymore. And then she rips off Helen Lawson's wig, which she didn't even know it was a wig. But <laughs> so Helen Lawson, Helen Lawson in in real life is this older woman. She's got gray hair, but she has this red wig. And she throws the wig into the toilet, and then leaves. And then some like bathroom attendant or maybe personal assistant comes up to Helen, and they're trying to figure out oh can we salvage the wig or like oh no maybe you can just leave through the bathroom or you know or through the kitchen and it's just like all of a sudden the movie's about helen lawson it's really weird yeah it's like this this 90 seconds she's like it's like her story yeah and then she just like puts on her veil and says like no i will leave the way i came in so it's like okay she's choosing to embrace who she really is you know her actual age and she's not trying to hide anything but, but why this isn't Helen Lawson's story. Why are we seeing this? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It- <laughs> and then the, the next scene, of course, it's it's Helen Lawson, it's Mr. Bellamy, and it's Lion, and they're all talking. And I think she she warns Lion about Neely, and she she's like, oh yeah, she's gonna relapse, like that lady, like and and it's really sad too because she is actually talented, but she's messed up. Yeah. And then so Lion breaks up with her. Then she, of course, she does relapse. First night of the play, she um, is in the wrong outfit. She's in the Act Two outfit. When uh, oh, did you recognize the person, the stagehand knocking on her door? By the way, no, I didn't. Who is it? It's Richard Dreyfus. Oh, <laughs> no way! I didn't even notice. It's probably his first movie. Wow. And I saw on Wikipedia it says Richard Dreyfus, like stagehand un or stage manager, uncredited. And I was kind of looking for him in this movie because, you know, there's Broadway stuff early in the movie. And it's like, oh, is he just in the background somewhere? That would be disappointing. But no, he's here. And it's very clearly him. Like, it's it's unmistakable. I think if if you you just like it, look, he looks just like how I'm used to looking him just a little younger. And he certainly sounds exactly like him. He has a few lines. (laughs) That's great. Neely gets replaced by her understudy. And then she goes out to the bar and overhears people talking about like how washed up she is. And it's like, Oh, it's, you know, that understudy was great though. And the bar is closing and she goes and basically just has a meltdown in the middle of the street, looking at her because she's confused why no one's at her theater. She tries to get back in and she ends up sobbing on the ground in the alley. So that's the end of Neely's story. And I'm going a little bit out of order here. Because there are the kind of the three plots, and it's easiest just to talk about one at each time. So we yeah, will return <laughs> to Jennifer here. Jennifer, off in France, making her pornos. Art films, please. She's in the, the theater, the screening room. They're watching a very racy scene where she has sex with some guy. Then after the movie's over, she comments to the French dude, the her producer, whatever, her new French agent, whatever. She's like, I think this is the best one we've made so far. And he's like, yes, yes. And he's like, and they want to release it in the United States. 
I guess again, this is confirming that the San Francisco scene was a was a vision or like a dream yeah. or freak out because it sounds like her movies aren't released in the U.S. Maybe yeah, she wants to buy herself out of the contract because she hasn't been able to go back to the U.S. to see her husband at all, and eventually it works out. So she flies back to the U.S. And then we learn that off screen she found out that she has breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's with <laughs> Anne, and this is a off screen. She visit she visits her husband in the sanitarium, and apparently, like he didn't recognize her or something. And it would have been nice to see that scene, but we just didn't. So she has found a lump, and she's going to get a mastectomy. And she makes a comment like, "It's weird. Like all that I have is my body, and now I'm not even going to have that or something." Yeah. Anne, honey. Let's face it. All I know how to do is take off my clothes. And Anne is trying to be cheerful. She's like, "Oh, it's okay. You know, they'll find it or they'll find it soon enough and you know, you'll you'll be okay." But she ends up killing herself. She takes a bunch of pills, intentionally overdoses. And then there's a uh, what feels like a bit of social commentary when Jennifer's body is being carted away from the hotel. And it's Anne and Lion are there, and the press just takes a huge interest in Jennifer now all of a sudden. And that feels like a little, like, oh, we didn't care about her when she was alive, but now that she's dead. Like, there, there feels like they're trying to say something there. Yeah. They're like, hey, look at this washed-up star, and look what happened to them. We didn't pay attention before. Yeah. Now that we know it's such a sob story. There's a little bit of a Marilyn Monroe kind of thing, too, because the the... the I mean, Marilyn Monroe was like a big star that people cared about when she, but they didn't, you know, it's, they didn't care about like her problems. Obviously they just care about I her mean, there's on even screen, a, her there's body. There's even a Sharon Tate kind of thing there. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. So she's dead. <laughs> it's, it's weird. Anne doesn't have a huge reaction to her friend's death, but at least she has some reaction. I don't think we ever see an acknowledgement that Neely even knows Jennifer's dead? I don't think so either. But then I guess, like, at this point in the movie, she's supposed to be so wrapped up in her own fucking issues that she's not paying attention to anything else, right? No, at, th- at this point in the movie, she's in rehab. Oh, that's right, yeah. <laughs> I'm telling it out of order. No, this is this is the clearest that's right, you're right. has ever been the... in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, maybe they didn't tell her. I don't know. So I mentioned earlier, I'll, I'll circle back to this, when Lion goes to New York... And kind of inexplicably gets hooked on pills. She almost drowns herself. I Again, I thought maybe that was like a vision, but I think that's supposed to be. Yeah, I, I think that one's supposed to be real because that gives, yeah. that, that's like the impetus for her to move back to New England yes. or whatever, right? Yeah, so she goes, she moves back to New England, lives with her aunt. And then Lion, after leaving Neely, leaving Neely to probably kill herself with drugs, goes to visit Anne and asks her, to marry him and and well first i mean this is another thing technically it happens off screen we do see her reaction to it but like you see him getting out of the car getting out of the taxi cab outside her house and they cut to and she's like oh you know this uh, it's funny i thought about this all the time but i you know i don't now i don't know what to say and it's like it's weird that they even cut around that but yeah so early in the movie she wants to get married but he lion is like the ultimate bachelor playboy type yeah, all the women are into him at the office yeah. and stuff. And yeah, but before we even meet him, there's a line, whoever, whatever lady kind of hires 
other ladies. He, he kind of <laughs> hires Anne and introduces her to Mr. Bellamy. She's like, oh, no, there's another guy that works here at the office. And is like, oh, he's always got women around the water cooler talking to him. Like, they're, they're going crazy over him. And then when, when she first meet Lion, when she first meets Lion, she kind of embarrasses herself. And she's like, oh, you're the one with the water cooler. And, you know, she's a little... It's I like the early stuff when it's Anne is like first in New York because it's like yes. kind of cute. Yeah, and that's not how the movie is most of the time. I mean, intentionally so, obviously. But yeah, so she wants to get married, but he doesn't want to. And then now, and then obviously they broke up at a certain point. Then they got back together, and now he wants to get married, but she says no. And, and well, and he's like, "Is there anything I can do to change my change your mind?" And she's like, "No, I don't think so." But you do get the impression that she has found happiness in her single life, in her single life away from New York City and away from Los Angeles. Yeah. And away from uh, being the and stuff. Gillian girl. Yeah. Well, that is how the movie ends. Jim, what did you think of Valley of the Dolls? If I'm honest, I liked it less than Conan the Barbarian. It was confusing and also long, <laughs> and I was just mostly confused throughout most of it. It was like watching a James Bond movie if the movie focused on M at his desk instead of James Bond doing the globe trotting. Well, no, stuff, no, no, you know? no, no, no. It focuses on M at his desk, Money Penny at her desk, and in Q with a drug problem. But yeah, I, I sort of understand what you mean. It has that '60s aesthetic and in all that. Um, kind of thing. Sharon Tate would have been an awesome Bond girl. Oh, for sure. One of the most beautiful women who's ever lived. Now, you know, I have to, I have to admit, Patrick, months and months and months and months ago, when we were talking about movies that we were going to do for this season, and Valley of the Dolls came up, and you were like, oh, Valley of the Dolls, Sharon Tate. I was like, oh, yeah, for sure. I know that movie. I'd never seen it before. This is my first time seeing it. And Sharon Tate didn't make a lot of movies. This is probably her best remembered movie right yes i think so yeah and i'm not like and she's not even the lead in it that's not a criticism and it's a shame because i think this movie showed up on like a like a 51st or or, oh my god 50 worst films of all time list or something like that once yeah i I, i'm going to talk about some of that stuff in in a bit but go on yeah but i don't know like it's a shame sharon tate is probably most known for this movie like it really is well this and being murdered but and marrying a pervert yeah, so yeah, I would take the being murdered and marrying a pervert over being known for this movie, if I'm honest. No. <laughs> I mean, I'd be well, dead. First of that, all, that first of dead, all but... this this movie gave us a glimpse of Sharon Tate as Emmanuel, and I think we all can agree that that probably would have been the best outcome. That would have been the best she outcome. Been killed. I agree. But yeah, it was just like a, it, it, this movie felt like a slog for me to get through. But I understand not, that. But not on the level of something terrible that we've done like i don't know spookies or whatever you know what i mean this i didn't want to slip my throat but i was ready to turn it off i probably had my phone in my hand for well over half of it and you had something else in your hand during the sharon tate scenes i did i did your your pretzels (laughs) that you were eating exactly my popcorn (laughs) valley of the dolls kind of sucks i don't think it's like the worst movie ever it's funny because when this movie came out first of all i think a lot of people that wouldn't know better would might think this is kind of a classic movie because the name we've all heard of it we know sharon tate's in it we know sharon tate didn't make a lot of movies and sharon tate's this like classic actress but then you kind of see the sharon tate movies and it's like oh she wasn't really an actress she was kind of just a beauty yeah but like 
I remember having a conversation once with my mom, and I don't know, we were talking about Jane Fonda or something, and it was like, and it came up that Jane Fonda won a few Oscars. She won more Oscars than her father. And she's like, what were the movies she wanted an Oscar for? Was it Barbarella? And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. But, but that's the thing. It's like, for someone that doesn't know better, just kind of the name Barbarella, oh, we've all heard of it. We know Jane Fonda's in it. She's a big star. Like, maybe that's one of the classic movies Jane Fonda made. No, Barbarella is terrible. It's smut. It's just, yeah, it, pretty much. Yeah, and, and this isn't... And I guess this is kind of the Barbarella of, of Sharon Tate's career, although Sharon Tate doesn't have the Oscar winners to, you know, kind of back it up. But, you know, this is like one of those movies where we've all heard of it. And I don't think it's necessarily famous for being bad. I think it's famous for being kind of a successful movie when it came out. It was topical. The novel was a huge hit. Yeah. But over time, it's kind of gotten a little bit of a cult fan base because it's bad. But I want to address that, too, because I don't think the movie is utterly terrible. You know, you mentioned the it's made some, yeah, the 50 worst films of all time, a 1978 book by Harry Medved. Randy Dreyfus, possibly no relation to <laughs> the actor yeah. that plays the <laughs> stage manager here, and Michael Medved. And it's like Leonard Maltin says it's like one of the worst movies ever and it's like what it's it's not that though i mean it's not good no exactly it's like i I can think of 50 way worse movies you know what i mean like yeah and i mean granted those first of all any like worst movies ever list or worst you know what like the razzies Mm -hmm. those things are all trash because they (laughs) they don't go for what's genuinely the worst they go for like what's bad but also recognizable right yeah michael bay will get worst worst director for transformers 11 when there's movies that hit wide release like some of those christian movies that are like so much worse for than any of the you know michael bay maybe he's not a great director but you know he knows how to shoot a scene and movies get released to theaters that with directors that don't know how to do that so yeah but like yeah, some of the some of the reviews and stuff I've I've seen on this, it's like oh, it's truly, you know, it's it's camp. It's 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 it takes itself completely seriously, but it's just hilarious. And it's like it's not. There's no exactly. There's it's not funny. A few moments where I had like a, a reaction, like a laughter, or like a little chuckle. There was, you know, I want to go over those because these are kind of fun, and I intentionally didn't mention them when we were when we were uh when i was going through the plots but the first one yeah, it was not in order but i had a little bit of a chuckle when jennifer was eyeing up the drugs and the music was really dramatic and they just like cut to you know they they superimpose images of her past to her relationship with tony and you see like tony collapsing on the stairs again <laughs> and i i chuckled a bit not not because of yeah. tony collapsing but just because of how dramatic it was, it was so, it was like soap opera levels of like, you know, dramatic. Yes. Yeah. And then I had a genuine laugh. I had, I laughed out loud at the moment when, and I don't know, this is something that probably wasn't funny in 1967, but it's hilarious <laughs> to me now. The scene that I mentioned that was a little confusing when Neely is talking about her experience at the sanitarium when they're cutting to when she first got there, when she's when she's completely gone and on drugs and everything. She's in like a bathtub that's she's like covered with a tarp or something. Like, I don't know <laughs> I don't what this, this kind of treatment continue. that is. 
I yeah, and and then she's and then it's you know in modern day she's talking to Anne, and she's like, I you know she's describing the whole situation. She's like, oh, and I said plenty of words that you'll never find in any medical dictionary. And the very next line is, "You stupid ass nurse." it's like i i lost it at that moment i thought that was was so so funny well you know Um, too and like i don't think you would find the word ass in a medical dictionary to be perfectly it's probably not stupid either no well maybe um (laughs) (laughs) maybe back then yeah we diagnosed with stupid (laughs) stupid and it's spelled s-t-o-o i was reading some reviews on it on this movie and they were saying like oh i didn't laugh at all and it was like, oh, well, good, because it's supposed to be a pretty serious movie. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, well, it's like, not supposed to be a movie you laugh at. No, like, what were people, like, looking to get at this? And, and I guess we should talk a little bit about, like, the why it fails dramatically. I mean, one, I, I've already talked about the storytelling's bad. Yes. But I do think, I, let's focus on the performances here. Sharon Tate's kind of bad. Yes. As Jennifer. And I don't think Sharon Tate was much of an actress. I've only seen her in a few movies. She was absolutely gorgeous, not really a great actress, which is something that gets thrown around to describe Marilyn Monroe a lot, even though Marilyn Monroe, at the very least, was a good comic actress and and played a a dumb blonde really well. Uh, And if you've seen some other movies, you can see there was talent there. She's outstanding in The Misfits, which is the last completed movie she ever did. Um, Sharon Tate isn't that. At least, I mean, she had such a short career. Yeah, she wasn't that yet, anyways. Yes, I never I never saw, you know, maybe there was a route for her to become a Jane Fonda, maybe. Who knows? But you, you don't see it here. I will say, I, she had a line that I liked. I'm pretty sure it was her. She was, like, exercising her chest or something while looking in the mirror near the beginning. And then she kind of gave up and she goes, Oh, whatever, I'll just let him sag. How to hell with him. Barbara Parkins, who plays Anne of the three main actresses, she's the only one I didn't know. I would say she's probably the best of the three. And I'd agree, yeah. But the movie just definitely forgets about her character for long periods of time. At a certain point, I guess I guess it's more just criticism of the character than the performance. It's just like even when she's in there, when it when it's very specifically telling Neely's part of the story. Even when Anne is around her, she's kind of just there. Yeah. And then let's talk about Neely. Let's talk about Academy Award winner Patty Duke. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so credit where it's due. This is clearly the hardest of the three roles. Yes. Without a question. But she's not good. No, I will say she's... I think she's beautiful, though, speaking... And I I like her singing and... And her, her, well, like, her she's stuff dubbed the in the singing. That's is that's not her singing. Oh, okay, never mind. I think then. it's I think it's the same woman that dubbed Audrey Hepburn in um, uh, what's the the um, My Fair Lady, who also dubbed um West Side Story. She dubs uh, Natalie Wood also. Is it also so, the same um, person who dubbed what was his name? Is it Mickey Rooney in Breakfast uh, at Tiffany's? Is that it? No, he's not dubbed in that movie. <laughs> That that's he's doing the I know, he's, he's doing, doing the Chinese accent. Voice. Yes. So okay, I, is she beautiful? Okay, I mean she's she's pretty. She's I think she's the least attractive of the three, but that's not saying she's How ugly. Dare you. But she's annoying. Even when she's before she's gone on drugs, 
<laughs> I never saw anything likable about her character that these other people would want to be friends with. Like Jennifer at least seems like a good person. Yeah. Uh, yeah, until she's help until she's cheating with somebody, but when does Jennifer cheat? Isn't she Oh no, sorry, I'm wrong. Never mind. She just makes porno yeah. films. Yeah, right. I guess I'm that's getting, cheating I'm kind all of, the characters sort of. Confused. Yeah. No, Jen- Jennifer remains a pretty good person throughout. I mean, you know, she commits suicide. She has an abortion. Like, okay, there's, there's debates to have about that's fine. It's, it's all with, the, with those specific acts. Technically, we don't even get confirmation that she gets an abortion. We, it, it's just it's talked about at one point she was looking into. I mean, she doesn't have a kid, right? But mm-hmm. could have been a miscarriage. Could have given birth and just threw the thing to the side of the curb. Who knows? That's also probably morally not great if you were to do that. But um, listen, if you're married to a, a pervert, maybe it is a good thing. Um, okay, so Neely, when she's in her drug freakouts, very, very one note and irritating and just lots of yelling. And it's not good, mm-hmm. but it's also not, in my opinion, like so bad that it's funny yeah it, it, it's 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 just kind of bad yeah and it makes her character kind of annoying to just have to watch yeah. on screen you know and you're like oh fuck back to neely jesus christ that's the problem with this movie it was like the perfect storm for like bad acting and not really bad writing but bad i guess what like I'll say bad writing, cinematography, I'll, or or however you want to call I'll, it. I'll say I'll say I don't know about the cinematography. I'll say bad writing because half the stuff happens off screen. That's bad writing. Oh, see, I was chalking that up to like they were just choosing not to film it. But okay, yeah. So uh, yeah, I agree with you. And then so okay, so we have three different plots. We have driven businesswoman is in a relationship, wants to get married, but he doesn't want to get married, and then that plot doesn't really go anywhere. I mean, she eventually gets hooks on, hooked on drugs for 30 seconds of the movie. I guess that it does have a conclusion, though. I mean, let's give that credit. So she she grows as a character, I guess, a little bit. We have yeah. kind of untalented but beautiful actress falls in love, and then he has health problems, so she has to essentially sell her body to pay for it, but then she loses her body because she's going to get a mastectomy, so she kills herself. That's a com- that's the complete story there. Yeah, we have up and coming star gets hooked on drugs and becomes miserable, and everyone hates being around her. Of those three stories, I guess they all have potential. The Neely is the least interesting one to me, maybe because I've just seen it so many times. Yeah, every every music biopic is that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and- Johnny Cash gets hooked on drugs. Elvis gets hooked on drugs. Maybe the um, problems not with the biopics, but with, but with the musicians. Well, yeah, no, but I, I know that's what I'm saying. It's like it's it's a real story. Yeah, I don't think they tell it in a very good way. No, it would have been. I mean, if this was like a decade or two decades later that they were making this movie, a better story would have, to follow would have been Sharon Tate's storyline. Absolutely, I don't think in I don't think in '67 they could give it the full weight that it deserved. Um, the way they kind of skirt around the abortion issue, they show more than I was expecting of her kind of porno career. Yeah. You know, so they do a good job with that. I think I would have liked to see, you know, to, you know, if let's say 
that's your story. Let's say we're getting rid of the other two and let's have a two hours of Sharon Tate's thing. You need to have a lot more of the husband because he kind of disappears. I know he's in a sanitarium, but you need to see those scenes of her talking to him and, and seeing just how bad it is. They do have the scene of Neely in the same sanitarium telling the pianist to play the song that he used to always sing at the nightclub to see if he would kind of react to it. And he does. And then he gets wheeled, wheeled off. Mm -hmm. But you need to have scenes like that with Jennifer, Jennifer and Tony. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird that, and again, we keep saying this, but it's just weird that so many things happen off screen because the movie could have been so much more interesting had they shown like, I don't know, like, uh, I mean, they probably couldn't have flown, a crew to Paris to 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 walk uh, what's her face Sharon Tate around for five days and just film random shit. You know what I mean? But like, just show. Oh, that reminds me. Can I bring up the other? There was three moments that kind of made me laugh. I, I talked about the two earlier. This other one. Yeah, go for it. When they're in the screening room watching Sharon Tate's latest porno flick, it's the whole thing is it's it's a sex scene that's kind of tastefully shot with like some curtains and stuff in the way, and then the camera just goes up to the night sky of Paris and just says Finn. And I just thought that was hilarious how <laughs> abrupt it was. Like, was that the entire movie? Like, I know in, in a movie you're obviously not going to show an entire, but it, it was just funny to me how blunt that was. Oh, yeah. It was just like, it's over. <laughs> like, yeah. I, thought, I enjoyed that. The movie's a, a train wreck, but... Well, first off, I, it could have been See, so I think train wreck is. I think train wreck is, is too too dramatic. It's it's like it's like us two streetcars crashing into each other. Then there's really there's no casualties, but people are a little shaken. Well, know? Sharon Tate got murdered. Well, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I I would say it's it's not a it's maybe it's a one car accident. I don't think it's a two car pile up. Yeah. I think it's one car just kind of veered off Mulholland Drive and went down the canyon. <laughs> maybe it's that. This movie's really interesting because it does tackle like a lot of societal issues with stars and Hollywood and, and, and the drama that kind of follows them around or that unfolds in their lives. Uh, you know, we've already spoken of uh, abortion and suicide and cancer and stuff like that. Wigs. Yeah, wigs. Exactly. More cancer. It's really neat that in 1967 you could have made a movie that was, I don't know if it's necessarily poignant, but it's definitely sending a lot of jabs towards society. I think that's really neat. But you also have stories of the rise and hard fall of these starlets. But nothing really happens to Anne other than she gets hooked on drugs and almost drowns. But then like, she's the only one that kind of lives like a semi-happy life afterwards, right? Right. Well, yeah, she is. But yeah, no, uh, she, she's the one who the least happens to. Yeah, for sure. and, and, I'm, and I'm wondering why... Like, is it a thing from the book or is it, was there something else in the book? Was there meant to be more for her, for her character, for her ending? Instead, it just kind of ends rather abruptly and she's just like, oh, I'm fine being independent now. I've gone through all my problems and, and that's I don't it. think there was more to it. I think that, I mean, I, I haven't read the book, obviously, but I, I think that's probably what it was in the book. But they, in order for that to really hit home, we just needed more of Anne. We needed to actually see her grow. We didn't really. Yeah. We saw the one scene of her. She's concerned because Lion's with Neely. And she takes some pills and almost drowns. That's like kind of all we get of her. 
it's just yeah it's it's a frustrating movie i think that's the best also way to do you think it. this is an offensive movie no like a- offensive to who to whom to who I well the french the only french oh. character is a is a major pervert i mean well it's, it's true to life perhaps i was gonna say it might be true to life so yes okay no that's that's just what i was getting at yeah i like that we get the french pervert guy in there yeah so jim which of these two movies do you prefer conan the barbarian is what i prefer i wasn't a big fan of this week's matchup but I'm going to pick Conan because <laughs> I think it's a, a little more redeeming. How about you? Conan's the clear winner. Arnold's not a great actor, but he isn't nearly, I mean, you know, with the material he's given, he isn't nearly as bad, I'll say, as Patty Duke. Yeah. And the movie's just far and away more entertaining for me. I enjoyed the action, even though the action could have been better. There wasn't that much I enjoyed in Valley of the Dolls, other than the music. There's a few um, songs that they sing that are pretty good. Yeah. And the score was uh, early credit for John Williams, maybe his first film score, probably his first Oscar nomination. But you know, so I, I do like the music in Valley of the Dolls, and I loved the beautiful women, Sharon Tate mostly, and also just the 60s makeup and hair look and is clothing. just gorgeous. And the, well, the clothing's clothing part of it, but wearing. like... I understand why people don't do that look anymore because it looks like just a ton of work. But like Anne's hair, mm-hmm. her like big hair is awesome. It's just like yeah, it's great. Yeah, I don't know. I, so I like looking at that. But I mean, but Valley of the Dolls didn't have a giant snake or a man no giant into snake. A snake or skeletons standing in kind of like a Stonehenge thing, <laughs> stuff like that. Snake arrows. <laughs> snake arrows. <laughs> so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Conan for the win. So what do you think of this as Ugh. a drive-in double feature? Not good at all. <laughs> I don't think we have to describe why it would make a good, <laughs> a good drive-in double feature between a movie called Conan the Barbarian about a jacked Austrian dude running around and slicing people up and slicing giant snake men's heads off. It's not a snake man. Well, he does, I guess, lop off a, a snake man's head, but that's when he's just a man. He yeah, also you're right. You're lops right. off yeah. the giant snakes. The, yeah. the the snake Snakes man isn't giant. The snake man is just a man. Yeah. <laughs> but when he turns into a snake, he becomes a giant snake. He's a, he, a giant snake, but he's like human size, though. He's not. He's not as big as the snake in the yeah in as the as temple. the cult, as the as the temple snake or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, so you know, between that movie and a movie about three women and their rise and fall in various star three women's rise and two women's fall. Well, one also falls. She just lands. A little she softer. stumbles. Yeah. She trips. Yeah. She doesn't fall. Yeah. She maintains her balance. Yeah, that's you know that's good. That's a nice way of looking at it. Yeah. I uh, <laughs> I think like tonally super different. The only thing really that anything that either of these movies have in common is kind of like the the <laughs> the narration and beautiful women sure. in both. I guess. Yeah. So this is easily the most maybe not easily but I'm gonna say this is the most dissonant double feature we've ever seen. Just really, really different kinds of movies. If you're the type of person that is going to like Conan, you know, there's a, you know, there's a Venn diagram. They're not two completely <laughs> different circles, right? But they're but close to it. If you enjoy Valley of the Dolls as a genuine drama, I can't imagine you'd be a Conan fan. If you enjoy Valley of the Dolls as like this unintentionally funny, campy movie, then, you know, there's a 
reasonable chance that you would enjoy Conan, I think, but I just, I didn't think it was that. Uh, but yeah, there's, it's a bad double feature, unfortunately. See, now something like Soylent Green and Conan might have worked. I, I think Soylent Green and Valley of the Dolls probably would work better than Soylent Green and Conan. But Really? Yeah, See, because I, I was going to say, I think Valley of the Dolls is the problem with this matching. This well, pairing. it is, but Soylent Green, but, but Soylent Green is a slow, boring-ass movie about a guy being with a woman who's way out of his league. <laughs> Yeah, there's some Sharon Tate parallels there. (laughs) Here is what we're doing next week. We've got Arachnophobia, starring the great John Goodman from 1990, and Mothra vs. Godzilla from 1964, the fourth Godzilla film. Oh my goodness. We've got giant insects. Well, they're not giant in Arachnophobia. They're also not insects. Spiders aren't insects. They're arachnids. So be sure to be sure to join us next week for that beautiful pairing. Be sure to check out our Patreon for commentary tracks and early access to episodes as well as extended cuts of the episodes to hear some jokes and things that we left out. All right. Thanks for joining me, Jim. Thanks for having me, Patrick, as per usual. You listeners at home, stay away from the drugs. <laughs> stay away from the giant snakes. Or if you don't, at least bring a sword. (laughs) 